Welcome to Catholic Living, a podcast that seeks to be a user's guide to the Catholic faith, where we boldly ask, what if this stuff is all true? How then should we live? This is brought to you by Ex Corde at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. I'm Tom Hoops. I'm writer-in-residence here at the college, and you can read what I write at alatea.org or excorde.org. I talked about how much I love fake Christmas in a previous podcast, so I feel a little guilty. And I want to make it clear that I love real Christmas even more. And I want to make it clear that despite the fact that I like listening to Winter Wonderland and Jingle Bells during Advent, I think Advent is super important also. This year we have the longest Advent possible. Well, I guess it's one day shorter. If Christmas came on a Sunday, then Advent would be one day longer than it is this year. But Christmas comes on a Saturday. That means that the fourth week of Advent is super long. Luckily, we have another chance to get Advent right. We have seven days this week, or six, to get Advent right. So I want to propose do hard things for Advent before it's too late. Because the fourth week of Advent really, truly is the worst week of Advent. The first two Sundays, Advent's kind of novel. You haven't gotten sick of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel yet. You're lighting the candles on the Advent wreath. Then it starts to get a little bit old, and suddenly the candle is pink. And that livens things up a little bit. But the fourth week is just annoying. It's that extra weight that you have to endure when you didn't think you had any more waiting to do. It's like sitting down to watch your favorite old movie and then realizing, oh, that's right, the credits are super long at the beginning. It's like waiting for Phil Collins' drums to kick in on In the Air Tonight, and each time you think that they're going to kick in, they don't kick in because it takes him forever. It's like sitting down for dinner, saying grace, putting salt on your potatoes, then hearing your mom say, "Uh uh-oh, looks like the chicken's going to have to cook for another half an hour. You want to shout, all right, enough, enough waiting, stop it. Fight the urge. Think of the fourth week of Advent as like the wait time that you spend in one of those two-sided confessionals. Have you ever been one of those where you have one person waiting on one side, and the other person confessing on the other side. And if you're the person waiting, you can kind of hear what the other person is confessing. So you have to cover your ears and look down and hum to yourself so that you don't hear the other person's sins. Well, with that extra time, you could actually look a little deeper at your examination of conscience, maybe add a couple of sins to the list. And I want to propose that in this long fourth week of Advent, that we have an opportunity to do a little bit of extra work as well. I once read that there's two different kinds of holidays. There are tension management holidays and recommitment holidays. And I really like that distinction. Tension management holidays are times where we party harder than usual, right? They're socially acceptable times of excess. There's Mardi Gras, there's New Year's Eve, or there are times of relaxation like Super Bowl Sunday or Uh, times of fun for the kids like Halloween, Valentine's Day sometimes falls into this category. They're designed to give us a breather from responsibility. Recommitment holidays, on the other hand, are times to re-up our promise. Uh, We treat Thanksgiving this way. It's a time when you sit down and you 
have to publicly name the ways you've been blessed. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day and Earth Day were created to be this kind of holiday. We want to remind ourselves how important it is to follow the example of Martin Luther King Jr. regarding race and how important it is to kind of promote ecological harmony. Well, the problem is that the secularized West has turned many of the most important recommitment holidays into tension management holidays. So for instance, Independence Day used to be a recommitment holiday in which people would read the Declaration of Independence and kind of reaffirm our connection to its principles. Now it's just a time to kind of, you know, barbecue and watch the fireworks, get a beer buzz going. Easter and Christmas are also in danger of being changed from recommitment holidays to tension management holidays, from the day that we re-up our baptismal promises and reaffirm our belief that Jesus rose from the dead to spring fun day, or from the day that we kneel at the crash and recommit ourselves to be adopted sons of Jesus Christ, a day to venerate the infant child Jesus in line at the church, to winter glow day, a day for candy canes and sugar plum fairies and eggnog. Let it not be so for you. I'm going to talk specifically about things we all should do. Then I'm going to talk about things men should do and women should do. Uh, kind of being a little bit presumptuous in both cases, but we'll see how this works. But the first thing that we all should do is embrace the wait. So the waiting was exciting at, on the first weekend of Advent when John the Baptist is jumping around on rocks and shouting proclamations of the axe being taken to the root of the tree, and uh, this exciting thing is going to happen. Now, if you look at the last couple of readings in Advent, we have John the Baptist telling people to share and not cheat, and you have Mary, instead of being visited by angels and who are proclaiming triumph in the skies, helping Elizabeth clean up and get ready for her own baby. The fourth week of Advent teaches us that life is not a climactic cataclysm of dramatic events. It's a long wait through incremental changes. Notice what is happening at the end of Advent. The church's message is no longer that the end is at hand, but that the waiting will continue indefinitely. So let's just review what salvation history looks like, shall we, and how much waiting is involved. After the long wait of salvation history, the waiting finally ended with Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit in March to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and there came nine months more of waiting. After that period of waiting ended, the birth of baby Jesus finally came, but he was in no position to take over the reins as king of anything, and he wasn't ready even to be able to speak. So more waiting followed. Until at long last, John baptized Jesus at roughly age 30, but that was followed by Jesus going into the desert for 40 days. So Advent essentially ended, in that case, with Lent. Then he emerged from the desert, and he had his great miracle in Cana, and then we had three years of waiting through his public ministry before he even told people who exactly he was. But then he headed to Jerusalem, and finally he cleansed the temple, and it looked like everything was finally coming to a head. But then he ended up waiting 
for his crucifixion, famously waiting late at night in the garden. Then he was crucified. There was an earthquake. There were people coming up from the dead. And you had to wait three days for the resurrection. And then you had to wait 50 days, was it, for the ascension? And then you had to wait nine days for the Pentecost. And then finally the Holy Spirit came and we had to wait for scripture. We had to wait for the church to kind of get the message out with the speed of ancient transportation, right? To one neighborhood after another that was reachable by the apostles. And we are now continuing to wait through church history for the second coming. So this is a whole lot of waiting, but it's exactly the same thing that we face in each of our lives. We start out in the womb, followed by years in which we do very little for anybody as we grow up and then wait through education. We wait for our vocation. We wait to take vows when we finally settled on a vocation. Then we spend our life waiting for the right job, waiting through the mistakes and course corrections of that job as our career trajectory goes. When we have children of our own, we wait more as they repeat the same process. And waiting doesn't just dominate our lifespans. It dominates every day. We spend most of the day asleep, waiting to wake up. Then we spend most of the day after we wake up waiting for other people. Then we wait for meals. Then we wait for meetings to begin. Then we wait for meetings to end. And then we wait for bedtime. It happens at Mass also. We're all waiting for the gospel. Then we're waiting for the consecration. Then we're waiting for communion. Then we're waiting for the communion line to end. And then we're waiting for the final blessing. Then we're waiting to get out of the parking lot. In fact, you could say that the art of life is the art of waiting well. This is what St. James says, right? He says, Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient with it. You too must be patient. But that's the hardest thing to do, especially in the fourth week of Advent, is to be patient for the waiting to finally end until we realize the waiting is never going to end until the final day when the trumpets blast and we are all caught up in the air with Jesus Christ. So I guess what I'm saying we should do in this fourth week of Advent is wait well. Wait well by prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Wait well by finally doing the stuff that we didn't do for the rest of Advent. You know, uh, the church is very good at helping us wait. So as we're waiting for spring to come, the church recasts that whole frustrating time as Lent and gives us a spiritual reason to wait. Well, now we're waiting for the time we get to open our Christmas presents, and the church has cast that as Advent. And in a previous podcast, I spoke about the things which John Paul II wants us to do in the church in the 21st century. Well, why not try to check those off your list this last week of Advent? Why not invite somebody to Mass? Let them know when you're going to Christmas Mass. Let them know when you're going to the Holy Family Mass the next day on Sunday. Let them know uh, when you're going to Mass three days before Christmas. Uh, Ask them to come along or ask them to come the week after Christmas. Why not invite somebody to return to confession? Mention that that's what you do. Tell them that you try to do it every Advent. Tell them how it makes Christmas even more special for you. Invite them along. Why not invite somebody to pray the rosary? 
Tell them that you've found that it's a beautiful thing to pray the rosary in front of the crash with the lights and Christmas decorations in your living room or family room. Invite them to experience that with your family. And why not do the fourth thing that St. John Paul II asked and serve the poor? Find out when you can literally serve the poor with your time. Find out who needs your money to help the poor and fulfill your almsgiving duty this Advent before it's too late. I once waxed eloquent on a radio station, uh, I think it was Archangel Radio in Alabama, about this wonderful season of Christmas. And the radio host said, well, I'm a woman, and Christmas is a totally different holiday for women. Uh, I was kind of taken aback by that, and I had never really thought about it, which shows that men need to think about this more, I think. So I asked April about it, and she said, oh my gosh, yes. Christmas is a totally different holiday for women. At Christmas, we have all of our regular work, she said, and more of it than usual. We also have entirely new tasks, decorating, wrapping, extra cleaning and shopping, baking, hosting, traveling. And that's not to mention all the recitals, concerts, and special events for kids that Christmas brings. So with the help of April, I sat down to write a list of what men can do to make this a little bit easier on women. Then I went to Facebook and asked Facebook friends to offer some advice as well. And here's the list that we came up with together, April and Facebook women and me. First, you can ask for help. Moms on Facebook agreed that this is the best way to get started. One mom added an important corollary. Uh, She said... Once you have committed to doing something, just do that thing. Don't keep putting it off and changing the timeline. So, for instance, if your wife has said, I need a new muffin tin, and you have said, I'll definitely get that for you, dear, then just go get it. Don't keep telling her that it's going to happen at some point in the future. Just do it. It'll be better for her. It'll be better for you. Secondly, Take a tip from a veteran husband. Sometimes busy wives don't want you to ask them what you should be doing. They don't want to have to say obvious things like do the dishes. You get far more points also if you just do stuff that needs to be done. This will take some trial and error, but, you know, if your heart's in the right place, it'll be a good thing. Next, when you have guests coming, take charge of the guests. One uh, mom who I've known for years actually said, a husband should be sure to be an extra host, not an extra guest when people are visiting. Uh, That means husbands should take coats, serve drinks, guide conversations to avoid sensitive topics, she said. Also neutralize guest problems, keeping in-laws out of the kitchen if that's the necessary thing for your wife's peace of mind. In fact, she said, wives should be allowed to be the guests sometimes. So if everybody's having something to drink, maybe find out what your wife wants to drink. Uh, Maybe bring that to her. Maybe take over for something that she's doing elsewhere so she could sit with everybody. Next was to help manage the kids' Christmas. Not only are mom's Christmas schedules multiplied by the number of tasks they have, but those tasks are multiplied by the number of children that they have. You can help a lot by taking over the kid-to-kid gift exchange ideas and plans. 
You can also help reset the kids' expectations so that they aren't expecting lavish, over-the-top Christmas visions to come true. A Philadelphia mom, who's a friend of mine on Facebook, said that wives also want significant breaks at holidays. And she suggests taking the kids away for 24 hours. You can take them on a trip. You can take them to see a relative. You can take them on two successive days to places in town. Or you can send your wife on a mini retreat. That would be great, I think. That's probably hard to do. You could just let her have a holy hour if that's what she wants, right? Take the kids for that time. An important corollary from a veteran husband, if you do give your uh, wife a treat and let her do something away from the house, then you must, must, must keep the kids from trashing the house while she's gone, okay? If you're not able to keep the kids from trashing the house, what I've found is if you're all cleaning when she physically walks in the door, then uh, she feels good about that as well. Last and most importantly, men should lead the prayers in the house. Uh, Several moms said that this was the case. They have so much to do with preparations that it would be super helpful if the husband read the Jesse Tree readings, remembered to say the prayer for the Christmas wreath, uh, remembered to lead the rosary if that's what you decide to do during Christmas, if the husband just did that kind of thing in the mom's place. So those are kind of my um, hard stuff you can do this week tips for men. Here's some hard stuff you can do this week for women. And this, again, was with the uh, consultation of my wife and others. She talked about how the um, Christmas time blues is a real thing for many women, for many men as well. And I'm sure uh, many women have to help out men in their lives in the ways just discussed. But apparently it's particularly a issue for women to be depressed at Christmas time because of financial stress, because of busyness, because of loneliness, or because of grief or estrangement. And here are some quotes that I collected from um, St. John of the Cross that can help kind of cope for December blues. So St. John of the Cross was a great mystic who experienced the dark night of the soul and learned a lot of how to interact with God through difficult times. He said, the endurance of darkness is the preparation for great light. The endurance of darkness is the preparation for great light. So if you feel darkness at Christmas time, if you feel depression in the last week of Advent, then don't make it your new normal, but embrace it. Understand that this is part of Advent Christlessness and Christ is coming to your life and to the whole world. John of the Cross said, it is best to learn to silence the faculties and to cause them to be still so that God may speak. So oftentimes we think that prayer means we have to sit down and have brilliant things to say to God. That is not the case. All you need for prayer is a few moments of silence. Breathe deeply in, breathe deeply out. Remind yourself that God is present and loving you. And whatever happens, leave it in his hands. If nothing happens, that's fine too. St. John of the Cross said, what we need most in order to make progress is to be silent before the great God with our appetite and with our tongue for the language he loves best is silent love. So 
literally suffering the way you are in Christmas, if you have the Christmas blues, is itself a way to love God. Just be silent with it and accept it, embrace it, and offer it up. Last, on this topic of praying in darkness, St. John of the Cross said, Contemplation is nothing else but a secret, peaceful, and loving infusion of God, which, if admitted, will set the soul on fire with the spirit of love. Next, some quotes from St. John of the Cross on waiting in loneliness. Quotes, Take God for your spouse and friend and walk with him continually, and you will not sin and will learn to love, and the things you must do will work out prosperously for you. So if you're single by choice or if you're single by circumstances and Christmas is hard because of it, do what St. John says here. Offer your heart to Christ instead. He said, if you purify your soul of attachment to and desire for things, you will understand them spiritually. If you deny your appetites for them, you will enjoy their truth, understanding what is certain in them. So this is a note on fasting from St. John of the Cross of just accepting the fact that you are without certain things in your life, offering that to Christ and letting that desire build in you, which will ultimately be satisfied in the arms of Christ himself. So those are some quotes from St. John of the Cross, the master of the dark night of the soul, if you're having a dark night of the soul this Christmas. And I want to share just one more word of wisdom. This is from my friend Danielle Bean. Uh, who writes, it's okay if you didn't fill any shoes with candy on St. Nicholas Day. It's okay if your family never wears matching Christmas pajamas. It's okay if the cute little lights on the cute little extra tree go out in the middle and you don't have time to fix it. It's okay if you're dreading things that lie ahead, parties, family, work, and social obligations. It's okay if you're so distracted with worries about money, health, and your marriage, your parents, or your kids that you have scarcely noticed its advent. Wherever you find yourself today, she writes, I invite you to take a moment, breathe in deeply, exhale slowly, and remember that you are God's precious child. You are not alone. You are never alone. He is with you, and he loves you more than you can know. Hold baby Jesus in your arms for a moment, press his sweet, smooth skin to your cheek, and let him love you. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hoops, and this is the Catholic Living Podcast, produced by Ex Corde at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Our mission is to produce media that will transform culture in America through Benedictine's mission of community, faith, and scholarship. Visit us at excorde.org.